So we were at the International Ministerial Association in Duncan, Oklahoma last week. It was my call to uh, preach the missions conference, uh, missions part of, part of it, and uh, I was excited about that. The Lord gave me a, a message where I could shoot my bow and arrow. Remember when I shot my bow and arrow? Uh, we did a series on the outdoor series, and I stood over here, and I shot an, uh, a target over there. Well, I, 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 the Lord gave me a message on 2 Kings chapter 13 when Elisha uh, hit the ground. You know, he had King Jehoash hit the ground uh, with the arrows, and he was angry because King Jehoash only hit it three times. And he said, you should have hit it five or six times. Uh, and he said, if you had done that, then you would have completely destroyed the enemy. And the Lord spoke to my heart about the, the bow being the church and the missionaries being the arrow and how we launched forth the arrows. And uh, I had a great time. And at the very end, I got to shoot the bow and arrow, and I hit the bullseye, thank God. <laughs> you know, you're always a little, a little pressure, you know. I had all the guys' attention. Let me put, you put it that way. You know, they were all hanging on. Because uh, they could see the bow, they knew I was going to shoot something. Um, somebody, I asked for volunteers. If somebody would hold an apple, and and no no volunteers. Anyway, it's so so good to be here. At that conference, I had an unusual experience. A man walked up to me. I didn't know him as a pastor, uh, and he walked up. He said, uh, "I've been watching you." I said, "Oh, really?" He said, yeah, I've been watching you from afar, kind of looking at you. And I said, okay. I don't know where he was going with this. He said, well, I've come to the decision that you really are happy. (laughs) I said, yeah, I am happy. And so then he explained. He had been gone through a transition, and he had been given, he was about 40-something years old, he had been given a church of over 2,700 uh, people, seats over 4,500, but with millions and millions of dollars in debt. And he was struggling, was, you know, just he was struggling with a huge weight of the debt that was upon the church, and it was not a good transition uh, they literally had to force the founder out uh, because the church was going down so fast and he had to take it. And then the former pastor gave him all kinds of problems and difficulties and tried to undermine him. And, and he said, the reason I'm walking up to you and talking to you and I've been watching you, he said, I just wanted to know that it could be done right. That transition could go well without a lot of fighting and feuding and, and things. And, and I, he said, would you please give me the story of Living Word Church? How did you build a church debt-free? And, how did you, and why in the world did you walk away from that? And how in the world did you? He just wanted to, you know, all the blanks. He, did, he actually, uh, Ben told me that he actually talked to Ben a couple of uh, months ago in a little video chat thing. And Got a few details, but I kind of filled him in on all the other details. But the answer to the question is, Vicky and I are so happy. We are loving it. We miss the people, but we don't miss the pressure. <laughs> if that makes any sense to you. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I don't, I guess 
Vicky and I had the opportunity to kind of grow with the pressure of the church as the church grew. And so it didn't weigh on me as heavily. But once we walked away, oh my goodness, it's just wonderful. <laughs> it's just great. Uh, we get to see our grandkids at least two or three times a week. We love to see them. We're excited when they leave. We're excited when they come. Uh, if, you know, if you're a grandparent, you understand that, you know. Uh, but we have a great time with them, spending time with our daughter and our son-in-law. And I, when, I, when, I, when we left, I said I felt like the Lord wanted me to, to reassign me so I could pour into the lives of other pastors. And what I quickly realized is you don't just walk up to a pastor and start pouring into their life. You know, there has to be a relationship. And so I've been developing relationships with other pastors. And, and those doors are beginning to open more and more and more. And I'm beginning to be able to meet with pastors and talk to them. And, and they have so many problems. And they feel this intense pressure. And I'm able to help them and encourage them and speak into their life. And Vicki and I... Are loving where we are. We have 20 acres there in the hill country and deer are everywhere. And I shot a nine point buck on my own place last Monday. And uh, it was just so exciting. I can make it to my deer stand in about three minutes out of my back door. So it, we're, we're having a wonderful time. We are happy. We do miss you. Something the Lord put on my heart this morning. Um, the message that I'm going to share with you is God is faithful. God is faithful. And the Lord has put this message on my heart because there is a, I want to say this correctly, there is this spirit invading our country. It's a spirit of division. As I sought the Lord, I just felt like the Lord said, the enemy is putting thoughts in the minds of people everywhere to divide. God works to bring together. He's a God of unity. He's a God who pulls together. He's a God who brings families together. He brings churches together. He brings a nation together. And our nation is fracturing. And the enemy is hard at work to divide our nation. And one thing the Lord put on my heart is that we have to be diligent to resist those thoughts that the enemy puts in our mind about division. We have to stand against those. And I want to talk to you about Abraham. The story of Abraham. And I believe God has a word to us as a church about Abraham. And when God speaks to Abraham, of course, you know his name first was Abram. Later it becomes Abraham. But who was this guy? He's just a guy. He's just like you and I. When God speaks to him and tells him to leave the land, he's not a special, great man of faith and power. He's just a guy. 
He's just like you and I. And I want you to look at what God says to him in Genesis 12. Look at verse 1, 2, and 3. Amazing, really, if you think about just God picks this guy and says this to him. He said, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family. And go to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. And I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, is that not an amazing word from God Almighty to just Abram? He hadn't done anything special. God just speaks to him. And the word to him is relatively simple. Leave where you are and go to a place where I'm going to show you. Leave your family, your father's house. He, he mentions that specifically. Leave your father's family. Now, if God says that, there has to be a reason. God sees something about his family that he knows is going to be a problem in Abram's life. And so he says, I need you to leave your father's house here. Obviously, bring your wife, your children, but leave your father's household. Now, I'm sad to say, Abram sort of obeyed. He kind of obeyed. But he didn't really obey. Because you see it now in the next few verses. We're going to read verse 10 down to verse 20. Follow with me and you can see what happened. It says, At that time a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt, where he lived as a foreigner. As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarai, look, you're a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, This is his wife. Let's kill him so we can have her. So please tell them you are my sister. They will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. I want to say, Abram, that is not a good idea. Are you not just thinking about yourself? And sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarah's beauty. She must have been beautiful. When the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, their king. Sarah was taken to his palace. Then Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because of her. See, he profits from the law. <laughs> Sheep, goats, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. But the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh summoned Abram, accused him sharply. What have you done to me, he demanded. Why didn't you tell me she was his, your wife? Why did you say she is my sister and allow me to take her as my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and get out of here. And Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them. And he sent Abram out of the country along with his wife and all of his possessions. Why did Abram lie? Why did he do this? Well, I believe God has a word to you and to me that we can learn from what Abram did. I believe in every Old Testament story, there's something God is weaving 
through the pages of history that will speak to the church thousands of years later. And the first thing I see in Abram's life, first thing that I see in this story about him lying, and that is when we lie, we often lie in order to avoid the consequences we don't want to face. How many of you have ever not wanted to face some consequences, and as a result, you didn't tell the full truth? Come on now. Now, how many of you are lying right now? Yeah, you're lying because you don't want anybody to know you've ever lied. The truth of it is we probably all have. That's the truth. We get in a tight situation. We get under pressure. And we just don't tell the full truth. And someone will say, well, Sarah was kind of like his half-sister. Yeah, that may be true. But it's still a lie. It's still a lie. It was still a lie to avoid the consequences. And when you do that, several things happen. First of all, you end up hurting the people you love the most. It's obvious that when Sarah got into Pharaoh's household, she told somebody. Because now Pharaoh knows he's gotten the word. And now he's ready to get rid of her and Abram. And he says, Abram, why did you lie to me? Why did you do this? Why did you tell me she's your sister and not your wife? And see, that's the problem. We hurt the people we love the most. And the second thing I want us to see about this is that when you lie, it sets up a mindset that opens you up to a life of compromise. Abram is going to fight this battle again. He's going to deal with problems of compromise. And this is a problem in Abram's life. And I want us to see that Abram failed miserably. Now, think about it from God's viewpoint. God wanted to use Abram, later to be Abraham, he wanted to use him to be the father of many nations. He wanted Abraham to bring forth the seed that would bring forth the Redeemer of mankind, Jesus himself. He wanted Abraham to begin the nation of Israel that would fulfill what he said in chapter 12. All the nations of the earth would be blessed through you. And that would happen through Jesus. So God needed a man who would be obedient, who would not lie. He wanted a man of integrity. I said this to someone the other day. Anointing follows character, not talent. Talent is cheap. Comes and it goes. But character is developed over time. And after Abram, first of all, he didn't obey God in leaving his father's household. Because if you read the word, the whole story there in Genesis 12, Abram brought with him Lot. Well, Lot was his father's household. It's his nephew. 
And as you read the whole story, you figure out Lot has some problems. Lot is a man of compromise. He doesn't have a heart after God. And God saw that Lot was going to be a real problem. And I happen to believe Lot was the reason God said to Abram, leave your father's household. But I have good news for you. God always gives you a chance to redeem your wrong choices. Aren't you glad? We can make wrong choices in our life. But God works at redeeming those wrong choices. I've made wrong choices. You've made wrong choices. It's amazing how we so quickly criticize and judge someone else when they make wrong choices when we've done it too. We get mad at them over what they do when we've made wrong choices. How judgmental and hypocritical is that of us when we criticize them for what they've done when we've done the same thing or worse? That's why he said, judge not lest you be judged. And be merciful. Because we're going to need that same mercy. So, does God give Abram the chance to redeem his wrong choice? He does. Because God forces the issue. And if you remember the story, remember what happens? They're staying together, and both Lot and Abram, they both have cattle and family and servants and They're just overflowing. And now their herdsmen start fighting. Now they're having arguments and and, and all kinds of uh, quarrels are breaking out amongst the herdsmen about the land. And so literally, Abram has to talk with Lot and says, Lot, man, we've got a problem here. Should we as kinfolks be fighting about this? He says, listen. I just want you to know, you can have anything you want. Go north, south, east, or west. Do any, take any land you want in any direction, and I'll go the other way. He just gives him a carte blanche choice. You take whatever you want. And Lot looks down at that fertile ground down there, the lower Jordan Valley, a little bit further, Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's basically where all... The civilization was settling down there because that's where the river was. That's, the Jordan River flowed through there. And it was well watered. And so it wasn't surprising the lot said, oh, I'll take that down there. That looks great, green down there. And so Abram says, okay. And here's the key. key. It says, after Lot left, God speaks to him. After Lot left, then God speaks to him, and he declares to Abram. He says, Abram, I'm going to give you this whole land. God gives Abram all the land, north, south, east, and west. Why? Because now he is finally in obedience. You see what God did? 
Abram didn't separate from his father's house, so God forced the issue. And I just want to say to you, if you don't fully obey God in an area, God will force the issue. He'll put you in a place where you have to obey. And God put Abram in that place where he is forced to obey God and separate from Lot. And as soon as he separates, God speaks to him and says, Abram, I'm going to give you all the land around. Now, what's interesting, God gives Abram the land that he just gave to Lot. Why? Because God knew Abram would not take it keep it or be a good steward of it because the next time we find Lot, where is he? He's not out in the vineyard. He's not out taking care of flock. He's living inside of Sodom. He's in the city of Sodom where he should not have been, but that's where he is. Sure enough, he's not a good steward of what Abram gave him, and he ends up losing that Because God gave it all to Abram. And I just want you to see that God will give you that opportunity. Look, if you would, to Genesis 13. We'll pick up at verse 9. He says, the whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land you want, and and we will separate. If you want the land to the left, I'll take the land on the right. If you prefer the land on the right, I'll go take the land to the left. Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zoar. The whole area was well watered there like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley east of them. He went there with his flocks and his servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. So God forces the issue. And here's the good news. There is always the blessing from obedience. And when God gives that land to Abram, it is God's way of saying there are great blessings when you obey God. How many of you in here have ever not obeyed and then a little bit later that you did obey and God really blessed you? He will do that. He will show you his blessings. Look, if you would, this next part. That God always wants you to see that there's a blessing that comes from obedience. And then at the same time, you think Abraham, he's he's excited. God has given him all this land. And you, you know the story that Lot is in Sodom, and, and then God sends those to visit, first of all, Abram, and then he goes, the two of them go down into Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and they're destroyed because of the wickedness of, of Sodom. And Lot gets out, uh, barely. Literally, the angels have to grab a hold of his hand and drag him out of there. Uh, and his wife looks back turns into a pillar of salt. You know the story. And Lot is spared, barely. But Abram 
is blessed. Why? Because he obeyed God. And I want to encourage you today to walk in obedience to the Lord. And I don't know, there, there's, there's a time in your life when it just things are going well. And then just as things are going well, it seems like all hell breaks loose. I don't know if you've been there before, but you just think, you know, there couldn't be any more problems. You know, things, life is doing good. And then there's always another test around the corner. There's always another test for our heart. Abram has done well. He obeyed God. God blessed him with the land. He's doing great. He rescued Lot, or excuse me, he, he, he got Lot, or Lot got out of there at least. Uh, before it was destroyed, but then he's sitting there, and they have one of Lot's men walk, runs in and says, man, uh, these raiders came in, and and, and they took over the whole land where we were, and, and, and Lot and all of his family has been captured. And Lot takes 314 of his men, and they start to pursue the raiders that have taken a lot. And, and I'm just being realistic here. I believe while he's running as fast as he can and galloping on the horses and the camels, I, I bet he's thinking this. I sinned because I didn't separate from my father's house. I sinned because I lied about my wife. And now... It's caught up with me. I thought God had forgiven me when he blessed me and gave me all the land. But in reality, God is still mad at me. How many of you have ever convinced yourself God was angry at you because of something going on in your life? Think about it just for a minute. Things are not doing well. Something going on with your family, your children, your job. Things are not doing well. And it comes to your mind, this is happening because of my past sin. This is happening. I thought, I thought that was over. But it's happening because I made wrong choices. The truth of it is, we've all made wrong choices. And God redeems those wrong choices. And not everything is a result of our wrong choices. They could be God is testing your heart to see what's really there. And this is not a result. Lot being captured by these guys, it's not a result of the fact that he lied about his wife. It's not because he didn't leave his father's house. It's because God needed a man that he could trust and who would be obedient. He knew that Abraham would have to be a man of faith. He would have to be a man who trusted God. He knew he needed a man who would be a man of integrity. And so there was still some purifying of his heart to go. And so I just want to say, if things are kind of crashing in in your life today, and you're feeling pressure, and you're feeling crowded in because of some things that are happening. And the first thing that goes on our mind was, well, this is probably happening because of this. 
Or maybe it's because of that. And I just want to say to you, it's probably not that at all. Because once it's washed by the blood of Jesus and you've confessed that thing, it's gone. It's over. It's been dealt with that God forgives. And when God forgives, He forgives completely. He washes it away. It is not brought up again. That's what Hebrews tells us. He does not remember our sin again. He doesn't bring it up again. He doesn't hold it to our account. The enemy puts those thoughts, like I said earlier, he puts those thoughts in our mind. When this test comes around, it's a test for our heart. He wants to purify our heart. Every time you get upset about something, it's a test of your heart. When was the last time you got upset? What was was the last time you got mad at somebody? And you think you're mad at them because of what they did. But really, God is testing your heart. More is going on than what you think. He's testing our hearts. Purifying our hearts. Trying to show us impurities of our heart. And God had something in his mind. And guess what? The real test was not in the battle he was about to face. Because when Abram finally found these raiders, he split into two parts. And he says, Now, this part, you, I want you to attack from this direction. And we're going to attack from this direction. We're going to attack at night. (laughs) That's amazing. And God will give us victory. That wasn't the test. The test was after the battle. Because after he won the battle, and they completely annihilated him, won a great victory. And they have all the spoils from this group who had raided the whole area. Not only did they rescue Lot, but they had wealth, amazing wealth, that they had gotten from all these these guys. And they're heading back, and they meet two people. And this is the test. They meet Melchizedek, priest of the Most High God, And they meet the king of Sodom. And the king of Sodom says, oh, hallelujah. Well, he doesn't say hallelujah. But he says, oh, Abram, oh, I'm so glad to see you. You've won a great victory. I see you. You've brought back all of my captives and all of the things that that they took from me. I am so happy. I bet he is. He said, Abram, listen, I'd like to reward you. And I'd just like to... Just pour out a whole lot of this uh, reward and let you enjoy it to say thank you. And Abram says this. He says, King Sodom, he says, I will not take one small thing from you. The only thing is you can allow my men to have a small portion and my allies to have a portion for supporting me. But me personally, nothing. 
And then he said this, because I don't want anyone, you or anyone else, to say that you have helped me or made me rich or helped me to win the battle because it was the Lord God who helped me. He gave all the honor and the praise and the worship to God Almighty as the one who really helped him. And he didn't want word spreading that the king of Sodom made Abram who he was by all the wealth that he gave him. And then the second test was Melchizedek. It says that Melchizedek was a priest of the Most High God, God Almighty. And it says Abram paid a tenth. He gave a tithe, 10% of all that he had. And he gave it as a sign. Whenever you give a tenth, it is the recognition of God's firstness in your life. You are first and foremost in my life. And everything belongs to you, O Lord. And because I believe everything belongs to you and that you are my total source, I want to give you that tithe. And he worshipped the Lord God. And they had bread and wine celebrating the covenant together. Oh, I can imagine the heart of God as he watched this transpire. I believe that God Almighty from heaven looked down and he nudged a couple of the angels. That's my boy. That's my Abram. That's my guy. He may not have done good in leaving the father's household at the beginning. And he didn't do real well with the father's wife's thing. You know, the, telling everybody that his wife was his sister. He didn't do But I want to tell you, he's doing great now. He is a man of obedience. God was well pleased with him. And I'm just kind of guessing here. Because it doesn't, you have to kind of fill in the blanks. But... What's interesting is that Genesis 15.1, it says this. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram. I'll protect you. Now be your great, exceeding, great reward. Interesting that God said, I'll be your exceeding great reward. Do you see the tie in there? He just turned down a huge reward from the king of Sodom. And maybe he's walked away from that thinking, boy, I could have really used all that. And God comes to him and he says, hey, Abraham, excuse me, still Abram. He's about to be Abraham. He says, listen. I just want you to know, I'm well pleased with you, and I'll be your great, exceeding reward. How about God being your reward rather than what the king of Sodom could come up with? Would you rather God to be your, your reward? A reward that never ends, never rust, never mildews. A reward that is from everlasting to everlasting. 
God is saying to Abram, Abram, I'll be your great exceeding reward. You never have to worry. I believe Abram, and we see the story later. Remember when God spoke, now it's Abraham, and he says, I want you to take your son Isaac. Of course, this is years later. Sacrifice your son. Abraham willingly obeys God. That kind of obedience is one and tested and proved over a long period of time. If you have someone in your life that's not doing real well, I just want to say, give them a chance. Give them some time. God is working in their life. It takes time for God's promises to be warned and, and, and proven in our life. Now, I have bad news for you. I would like to say Abraham has now become a great man of faith and power. And he is not going to make any more mistakes. And he is doing great. And hallelujah, everything goes great. But I, I'm sad to say to you that Abram, in Genesis 21, well, it's actually all of Genesis 20. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but if you do read chapter 20 of Genesis, we have a repeat. And Abram, now Abraham, he meets King Abimelech. And what does he tell the king? Uh, uh, she's my sister. Abraham! Didn't you learn from the first time with the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh in Egypt? Didn't you learn anything? How many of you have ever made the same mistake twice? How many more than three times? How about more times than you've got hands and fingers and toes and everything else? The truth of it is... We serve a merciful God. And as I was reading the story the other day, and I got to the end of the chapter 20, and I'm, I'm still shaking my head, I'm still thinking, Abraham, how could you do this again? You were doing so good, man. And then, that finishes, but look at verse 1 of chapter 15. Excuse me, after 20, 21. 21 verse 1, the Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. I'm amazed. He doesn't bring up Abimelech. He doesn't bring up what he just did. He doesn't bring up what just happened. He just says, and God kept his word. God had made a promise to Abraham. He said, one year from that point when he had visited him, he said, you're going to have a son, and you're going to call that son Isaac. 
He's going to be the sound of laughter. That's going to be his name, Isaac. And he's going to be the father of many nations. And even though, Abraham, you messed up again, I am still going to be faithful to my word. And that's the word of the Lord to us today. God, faithfulness is greater than your mistakes. God's faithfulness is greater than your sin. Your, God's faithfulness in no way excuses us or gives us permission to sin. Don't ever confuse that. And I, I want to say this about God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness is to His Word. Hear me. God's faithfulness is to His Word. God is not obligated to be faithful to your crazy ideas. He is not obligated to be faithful to your selfish ambitions. He's not obligated to be faithful to our thoughts and our desires and our whims and what we want to happen. God is faithful to His Word. So don't get confused about God's faithfulness. I had a in a lot of conversations I've had with pastors in the recent months, the, the pastor began to explain to him, me how he had a great idea of something that was going to go on in the church, and, and, and he just felt like this is a great thing, and it's, it, was, it was an area of outreach he was going to do, and, 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 he just, and he described it to me, and I thought, oh, my, this is not going to go well. Uh, and he did it, and it didn't go well. It was a crazy idea. But this was his word to me. He said, I don't understand why God was not faithful to me. And I said, hold it. Show me in his word your crazy idea. (laughs) He may not have been faithful to do what you wanted him to. But he's always faithful to his word. That was just your crazy idea. I said, let me ask you this. Did you get any counsel? (laughs) Did you bounce this off of anybody else, starting with your wife and with some other mature believers before you launched into this? He said, well, no, I thought it was a great idea. I said, well, let's learn from this. Who is God faithful to? He's faithful to his word. That's the reason, folks, we have to cling to His Word. We have to study and, and meditate and love His Word. I'm thrilled when Ben told me y'all are studying through the book of Ephesians. What a great thing. What a great thing to be faithfully studying God's Word in a consistent manner. So many churches are doing so many crazy things Trying to do things that impress people and attract people and uh, consumer-oriented things. But God wants us to be faithful to His Word. His blessings are upon His Word. It will always be that way. You know, I was praying about this message. and, And I thought, 
how God has been faithful in my life and my wife's life. You know, it was in, I guess, in 2017 when you got the diagnosis of cancer. Was that it? 16? I remember when Vicki got up on the stage and she shared the diagnosis of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And, you know, you wept and we wept and we cried and you cried, and, but you went beyond that. You prayed, and God was faithful. Now, she did have five treatments of chemotherapy. We sought medical uh, help, but that was a real, it was the lowest dosage chemotherapy that they had, and it was just five doses was all that was necessary, and even the oncologist at that time said, I believe this is going to be sufficient. And sure enough, right after that, it was right before we went to Africa the last time, right before we took off uh, in July. I think maybe the last treatment was like in March or May or something like that. But um, no trace of cancer. And in all the follow-ups since then, no trace of cancer. Uh, and I just want to say God is faithful. And he's faithful to his word. He's our healer. He is a God who heals us. He hears our prayers. And... You know, my mind was flooded with all the testimonies of how God was faithful. You know, God was faithful to give this church this land. It was in 2009, I'm hoping I'm getting my dates right, but we were uh, over in Val High. We had Sunday night services. I think it was a foundations class. And one of the guys... Uh, was driving from Thibodeau down this road, and the people who own this land, it was uh, eight brothers and sisters, the Olivier family. They put up a homemade sign painted by hand for sale by owner, and they put 100 acres. And so that guy drove in, he drove to class, and he said, Brother Renee, I saw a sign out on 311. I know y'all been looking out there. Why don't you call on that? He gave me the phone number. Next morning, Monday morning, I called, and the guy said, well, I said, how much are you asking? He said, $300,000. I said, oh, that's great. We'd love to buy it. He said, I said, that, because that, that, you know, that is exactly what we had in the bank. We'd been saving our money. That's exactly what we had. And the guy said, well, I'm sorry, but uh, he said, we've already been contacted by two others. One, a real estate investor that wants to develop lots, and the other is a, a, a casino truck stop that wants to buy this land and put a casino truck stop there. I said, ooh. And I said, well, to be honest with you, that's all we have. We're going to pay cash for it. So we can't really get in a bidding war. Uh, so we'd love to buy it. So uh, he, he said, well, I'll let you know. And he called me a couple of days later, and he said, well, he said, I just want you to know that the casino um, uh, truck stop guy, he offered us a lot more money, as I learned later, over $450,000. And Vicky and I, we said, well, that's it. I said, well, I'm sorry, you know. He said, but I'm going to talk to all my brothers and sisters and if they want to sell it to you for 300000 we'll do it. But he said, I, I have a feeling they're going to want the more money. And I said, yeah, probably so. So we just wrote it off. 
I figured that's it. That's the end of the story. We'll keep looking. You know, in a couple of days, he called me. And he said, Brother Renee, he said, you're not going to believe this, but every one of the brothers and sisters said, we want to sell it to a church for 300000 rather than the casino uh, other people. He said, that's what we want. We don't want a casino truck stop here. We would rather see a church here. I said, all the brothers and sisters agreed with that? He said, yeah. I said, great. I said, let's sign a contract. <laughs> Do you know he would not sign a contract? He said, if you'll come over here and shake my hand like a man and tell me you'll buy it, I'll shake your hand and I'll give you my word. And my word is my bond if your word is your bond. Old-fashioned guy, you know. I got in my car. I drove as fast as I could. I boogied down 311 and I got here. I met with him. I stuck out my hand. I said, I agree to buy this. $300,000. He took my hand. $300,000. We never signed a paper until the day of closing. On the day of closing, he was a man of his word. I want to tell you, folks, that was a miracle. Miracle from day one. Now, this property didn't look like it does today. For the, especially, I remember the financial council. We came out here and we looked at this. I mean, the weeds were over our head. It was overgrown. It was a mess. You couldn't even get back to the back because the weeds were so tall. We had to bush hog a trail to get all the way to the back. God was faithful. And the stories of God's faithfulness have been over and over. Healing in your lives. Marriages restored. God's faithfulness. And see, He's faithful to His Word. He wants His Word proclaimed in this area. I just feel like the Lord said there's some Abrahams here today that you've messed up and you've believed a lie. You believe that because of your past mistakes and sins that God has not forgiven you, that God couldn't use you, that you'll never see the fulfillment of God's plan for your life because of your mistakes. You've lied like Abraham. You've deceived people like Abraham. And God just wants you to know His faithfulness is greater than your mistakes. He wants to be faithful to you and fulfill the destiny of your life. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right now. Oh, Lord God. God of heaven and earth. Almighty God. Maker. Creator. Faithful God. Lord, you look down from heaven and you know every person in this room. You know our sins and our mistakes, our failures. You know our failings. 
You even know our wrong thoughts. And yet you love us. And you want to redeem us. You want to redeem those wrong choices. And Lord, I know that there are those that in this room, they've never trusted you. Maybe their mistakes have held them back, Lord, from really fully trusting you and giving their life to you. Lord, I ask you today, if you would help them to let go of the lies of the enemy and to turn their life over to you, to trust in Jesus. Jesus is our Redeemer. Jesus is the one who wants to forgive us of our sin and come in and make us a brand new person. Jesus is the only Savior of the world. Only you have the words of life and forgiveness. Lord, forgive us for judging others. Forgive us for our hypocrisy, Lord. And help us to trust in you. Help us to trust in your faithfulness, not in our mistakes. There are people in this room right now that are convinced. You have been convinced in the past. But today, I want to ask you, let go of those lies and be willing to trust God Almighty and turn your life over to Jesus Christ. If you would be willing today, turn your life over to Jesus and say, Lord, I surrender. Forgive me for doubting you. Forgive me for thinking you could never use me. Or that you didn't love me. Lord, forgive me. And make me a brand new person today. If you are a person here today. And you need to start your life over. And you want to give your heart and your life to Jesus. I'm just going to ask you to slip up your hand. Anybody here? You're willing to say yes, Jesus. Yes, thank you. Yes. Yes. A couple of hands. Four, seven, eight. Yes, eight, nine. Today is the day. Today is the day to turn your life over to Jesus and say, Jesus, regardless of the choices I've made in the past, today I want to start afresh and make you Lord of my life. I want you to take over my life and make me a brand new person. Forgive me of my sin and make me a brand new person. Let's stand to our feet, everyone. And as you stand to your feet, I'm going to ask if you would just make your way down to the front. I want to pray with you. If you raise your hand or if you're a person who say, I want to start over today with Jesus. I want you to get out of your seat and come down here. You've made mistakes just like Abraham has, but you're ready to let go of those mistakes. Amen. You're ready to let go of those mistakes. And say, I'm ready to let go of those and make a brand new life with Jesus. Come on. Come on. Come on. You're ready to turn your life over for Jesus? Thank you. Thank you, young man. Thank you. Thank you for being willing to say, God, I need you. I need you, Lord. I have good news for you. God is a heart surgeon.
says in Ezekiel 36, 26, he says, God will take out the old heart and put in a brand new heart. One that's soft. He'll take out that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. In other words, he's going to give you a heart that's sensitive and tender to God. Some of you have had a hard heart. And that hard heart, been angry and mad and frustrated. God wants to take that out and give you a soft heart. You don't have to be angry at people and you don't have to be angry at God. God wants you to start over today. He can wash you away all your sins and give you a brand new life. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray out loud with me. God can give you that brand new heart. As an act of obedience, I'm just going to ask you, you don't mind? Raise your hands. doesn't hurt you a bit. It's kind of like an act of surrender. And pray out loud with me. You Out there, you can pray with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. I give my heart to you, Lord. I turn my life over to you. I declare Jesus is Lord. Forgive me for all my mistakes, all my sins, all my messes. That's all in the past. Cleanse me by the blood of Jesus. Make me a brand new person. Take out that old heart and give me a new heart. Put your Holy Spirit inside of me and renew my spirit. Give me a new heart, Lord. I will never be the same. I give you my life and I declare you Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I will never be the same. Amen. Amen. I love you, man. Praise God. Bless you. Thank you, man. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming down, making that decision. Praise God. Amen. A lot of you I don't know. Some of you I do. Bless you. Hey, praise God. Bless your heart. Thank you. Thank you, young lady. Thank you for giving your heart to Jesus. Hey, young man. Bless you. Heaven rejoices. Heaven rejoices. When one person comes to Jesus and turns their life over to Jesus, I believe they break out in a dance. They're probably jumping and hopping and skipping and rejoicing in heaven. When one sinner repents, there's rejoicing in heaven. And if you haven't done that, do it. Turn your life over to Jesus. Amen? I love you. Good to see you again. May the Lord bless you. Amen.